Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is a continuation of last week's AMA episode. Another offshoot from David's question on crowdfunding is whether the relationship-based approach is going to be replaced with the faceless characteristics of the public equity markets. Are we shifting from a country club style of investing where relationship is key to something that's closer to the stock market? How should investors and fundraisers adapt in this rapidly changing technology landscape? And this is a great offshoot to that same question. There's nothing intrinsic about real estate that requires a deeper relationship in order to invest. What we're really talking about is the difference between a private placement investment versus investing in public markets. In the public markets, the size of the investment's been reduced to make it accessible to virtually anyone. That's why shares in multi-billion dollar companies like Ford or Google are carved up into a huge number of really low-priced shares. When a company does a public offering, they price the offering low enough so that the board lot of shares, that is 100 shares, will be small enough for virtually any investor to make that size of investment. Traditionally, real estate has been considered to be a Main Street investing versus Wall Street investing, and that changed with the introduction of real estate investment trusts. REITs were created as a way for Wall Street investors to get a slice of larger portfolios of commercial properties. In the end, they became a way for real estate investors to raise capital very inexpensively. The rate of return expectations for retail investors has traditionally been very low, and the cost of establishing a REIT is actually similar to that of a public IPO that can run somewhere between $1 to $2 million. Establishing a REIT only makes sense for really, really big projects where the cost of the offering can be spread across enough properties. Often, a REIT is established after the portfolio has been put together as a way of recapitalizing the portfolio with much less expensive money. These securities offerings are designed and packaged to make it look almost the same as buying shares of IBM or Google. There is a fundamental difference between a public and private offering. In a public offering, you have analysts at the major brokerage houses who perform due diligence on the financial analysis, but most investors don't even read the analysis. They look at the consensus of a group of analysts who say things like buy or sell or hold. And sometimes they say overweight or underweight. Well, what on earth does that mean? Public securities also require the financials submitted. They've got to be audited financials. That means they've been subjected to a deeper level of scrutiny compared with private companies that are not required to present audited financials. A private offering possibly carries more risk because it's not subjected to the same level of financial oversight. The burden of due diligence shifts to the investor. In a private offering, by definition, the number of investors are limited, and the minimum investment is typically quite high by comparison. Last week when we were talking about this, we used the restaurant analogy. We were talking about the difference between eating at McDonald's versus that exclusive five-star restaurant with only 10 tables and a three-month waiting list for reservations. You can't organically scale that exclusive restaurant into a business like McDonald's. They're fundamentally different businesses. There is a subtle but very important difference between public offerings and private offerings. Public offerings are primarily targeted at unsophisticated investors. The additional accounting oversight, the audited financials, simply tell you that the accounting is accurate. The emphasis is on the sponsors of the venture. Are they keeping the books accurately? Are they managing the funds in a manner that complies with the law? That covers only one of the elements of due diligence. What gets left behind are two of the most important aspects of due diligence. Does the company have a good plan? Does the investment actually meet your criteria? What is the structure of the investment? Are the assets leveraged safely and with the right terms? So that's really the first thing. You know, what is the structure of the deal? 
Second is, is the market actually able to deliver the results that are predicted in the financial forecast? When you're dealing with public entities, the discussion gets dumbed down significantly. The investors look at the rearview mirror and see that the Real Estate Investment Trust paid their 2% preferred return like clockwork over the last eight quarters, and that's about it. They look at the stock of a public company much the same way. They say things like, the company delivered $0.22 per share last quarter and is projected to deliver $0.25 a share this quarter. Because of that, I think that stock's going to go up in value. There's really no mention of the long-term revenue outlook, the impact in three years from now of products that are currently in development. It's incredibly difficult to determine the true intrinsic value of a public company. In the world of real estate investing, determining the true value of a portfolio is much simpler. We as investors spend a lot of time focusing on the actions that create value. The notion of a bargain is much easier to determine. So the question for you is quite simple. As a passive investor, do you want to be eating at McDonald's or do you want to be part of that world-class dining experience in the exclusive restaurant that caters specifically to your dining needs? So you're thinking about that. Have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.